0: This is One Heat Minute.
1: A drop of a hat, these guys were rock and roll.
0: What's your name? Wayne You
1: look like gang bangers, working the local 7-Eleven to you.
0: Robbery, homicides, take me out. Give me all you got! This and Give me, you me, all got! me all you got!
1: I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. Trying to stop guys
0: like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen... Ah. Oh, sorry. No, no, go
1: ahead. I'm sorry. I was just waiting. I was like, whenever you want to
0: start. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard. And joining me again, in fact, 30 minutes after the last time she joined us. I never thought she'd come back, but I'm so pleased that she did. (laughs) Um, She is the four-time Pulitzer nominee head chief film critic at the New York Times, my favorite critic alive right now, Manola Dargis. Welcome back to One Hit Minute. It is a pleasure, pleasure to have you back.
1: Thank you very much. I'm not really sure how I can live up to that (laughs) introduction, but but thank you very much. I appreciate it. (laughs) Glad to be back.
0: (laughs) Thank you for coming back. And what's so awesome is that 30 minutes ago, we talked about this amazing section of Robert De Niro and Amy so Neil and Edie's relationship looking out to the vista, the sort of fireworks of their relationship, this great kiss. And now, as the freeze frame at the beginning of this 59th minute, so queued up 59 minutes, 59 to 60 in this, our 60th episode of One Heat Minute, the still is Justine and Vincent together. So we get to go okay. to the other power relationship of this. I'm so excited to check this out with you. Okay. So, ladies and gents, let's jump straight into it. We're going to ha- have a watch of this minute. Then Manola and I are going to come back, and we're going to talk about it um, and uh, have a listen along now.
1: Better be <laughs> so, so she tells us. She's going to to
0: Yeah, I've been to and there it
1: is (laughs) well it is an interesting minute i think because it's bridging these two worlds um uh you know in a really interesting way but are we allowed i forget are we allowed to talk about
0: what happened
1: before of course
0: of course i think what's happened is as uh, as this podcast has gone on, I've completely loosened uh, the granular <laughs> focus. Of course, we're going to talk about the minute, but it's an impossible okay. thing, and I don't want to restrict folks to not talk about it. So please do talk about whatever whatever you need to talk about to contextualize okay. this minute.
1: Well, as we just as we just uh, you know saw and heard, uh, he is hanging out uh, with Edie, and he gets his call. We see it. We see his little beeper, which uh, is kind of funny because I I wondered, do, do cops still have beepers? I kind of think they don't. Um, and then. Maybe hipsters off.
0: carry beepers now.
1: I don't know. That would be, <laughs> is it like vinyl at this point? I'm not really sure. Uh, I
0: don't think they're then... as well loved as vinyl records, but maybe, maybe the beeper is where we're going back to.
1: Yes. I, I don't know. Um, and then he, uh, he leaves, um, and he arrives and he, um, actually I'm skipping over some stuff actually, but, uh, the end of it, the last shot. It's weird. It's the the beeper is the first shot, and the last shot of this particular moment is of the dead prostitute in a in a dumpster, which is you know incredibly bleak. Yes. Um, and it's I have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, but one of the things I was I was rewatching this section beforehand because I think it's really important to to put it within larger context. We can talk about it specifically, but. The larger kind of back and forth—you're just so much of what's happening in this part of it—is the contrast, the compare and contrast between these two tribes that were really following it: Neil's tribe and Vincent's tribe, and the comparison between the detective Mike Boss—is it Basso? Bosco? Is yep, Bosco, yeah,
0: Bosco, yeah,
1: Bosco, who's played by Ted Levine, and then Wayne Grow, who's of course the great villain played by uh, I think it's Kevin Gage, yes. and. You know that they are in a way the just much like Neil and Vincent are two uh, you know kind of our two heroes, um, antiheroes. They are the parallels of each other, um, and it's and it's really strange. Except this time, as I was watching it, there was um, a different kind of parallelism that just jumped out at me. So. I realize I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but just prior to this scene, what we've we, we watched is um, Vincent watching Neil and his crew in a restaurant eating with their families, and uh, Neil, they're watching in their survey they're, they're wondering who in the world um, uh, Vincent is, and as they as Neil drives off, Vincent says that the, the crew, the, uh, the villains, the ostensible villains. Are going to have the surprise of a lifetime, um, and then we go. We cut right away to Wangro with our young prostitute. Yes. And, and they have a little bit of dialogue, but the thing that jumped out at me this time is she says, "You're the monster, whatever, uh, you know, sexual encounter of my young." <laughs> you can't wife.
0: swear. You can't swear in this again. No, oh, okay. She says, remember.
1: "Yeah, it's, yeah, she's." kind of they're having this little banter she's trying to get paid and he's sizing her up for what with the doom that we know is going to await her and she says yes it was a monster fuck of my young life and everything is so completely um calculated and and there's so many parallels that that just really jumped out at me that the scene before we have surprise of a lifetime and then we have her saying monster fuck of my young life and I just thought oh this is so weird Because what it is suggesting in a kind of strange way to me, it's connecting, and this is very uncomfortable, the Al Pacino character, Vincent, to Wayne Grow. There is a kind of weird connection to me you know the the word life just pops out now i again i may be reading too much into it it's friday it's the end of my very long work week but i don't think
0: so no you're not i don't think you you are at all i think i think that's a it's a it's something that you're now connecting for me is that i'd i'd never drawn a line between those two characters but it's just something about the the echoes of those scenes and those words that absolutely ties them together and it's not as overt as it It's not as overt as some of the other connections, you know, you know, visually and the match cuts that we've talked about. We've even talked about in the other scenes and the other sequences, Mm -hmm. but, but absolutely. I think you're spot on.
1: Well, and I think it's particularly important because this minute again begins with the beeper and what that beeper is doing. It's introducing a very intimate, um, exchange between Vincent and his lover. And, um, and it's very Vincent and Justine, and they're they're hanging out with his crew, and it's very lovely. It's beautifully shot. Again, I was looking at it, you know, and he's interrupting it. And, and part of the, the arc of that character is how he is constantly being pulled away from home, from the world of women, you know, at home. Yes. and uh, in, in into this uh, kind of un- this very 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 bleak and dangerous underworld. You know, and that's where we get the overlap between these two tribes and the kind of the sense of that both of these tribes of men are very much, uh, you know, obviously um, flip sides of the same coin Um, and that Vincent himself seems incapable of being able to have a kind of normal, happy home life. And I just felt like this was a juxtaposition that that what we see in this one minute, you know, is a kind of what is the the end of the, the, Wayne Grove has just killed the prostitute in the minutes beforehand, um, and Vincent's now going to, you know, go try to solve, you know, investigate her murder. But there's a sense that he is really connected to this terrible world, as, you know, there's an entire scene with him talking about, to her, uh, to his lover about the terrible world that he inhabits. And in a way, it's the, the kind of the tragedy of that character is that he's been drawn so fully into the dark world. This you know world of criminality and pathology that he himself of course has become the twin the impossible twin with Neil. I mean, I just it's such a weird thing. But the connection with Wengrow just gave me the creeps. You know, and, it and, just
0: and it gives oh. you, and it gives you the creeps because you know Vincent does talk about this underbelly and this underworld in really bleak and sort of you know sort of archetypal evil terms. Like it sort of yes. takes away from the pathological and gets into that sort of, um, gets into that just pure darkness. And I think that that's one thing that is absent from Neil. I think one really cool thing that you and I talked about in our last conversation it keeps recurring is, you know, Neil doesn't think of life uh, or, or his job in terms of good or bad. Um, right. he, he doesn't really, right. he doesn't have that same, He's not even on the same moral plane, but with Vincent, he he thinks that there are bad you know, there are bad people and there are good people. And so that's a great it's a great contrast between these two guys and they wrestle with it even in their conversation. But I love here exactly like that beeper, this like innocuous little annoying piece of technology as soon as it flags with vincent there's two really clear impacts so for vincent he knows that death's coming like when he looks Mm -hmm, at that beeper mm -hmm, that is all darkness this tiny little beep and with justine there's this great it's 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 this perfect thing at the beginning of our minute when that beep goes they toast to raul ted levine sort of having a joke with Michael t williamson and there's this still that i'm looking at right now it's 59 minutes 13 seconds and justine's just looking up in the air like this is my life. I get these brief yeah. windows into this guy and Pacino's performance, just reacting to the news of what he's about to go up to is just so, it, it is bleak. It's like, Oh God. And the, the weight of the, of the job is on his shoulders in the beginning of our minute that we're talking about. But I, I don't, it's so funny when you look at the connective tissue of what scenes mean things to certain scenes. Cause when you're looking at the whole tapestry, the whole film, it doesn't quite echo as strongly as what you're talking about now, even in the last five minutes of the film, that mm-hmm. is such a strong connection between yes. Go. Even, even what we're about to see, which I just noticed because we're, uh, as Manola and I are talking, I'm sort of playing heat on mute as we're chatting, but there's this, <laughs> There's this um, this neon glow, this gross neon glow sign above Wayne Groh's head as he's you know trying to get another job. You know he's just so yes. casual after murder. Mm-hmm. And then we, in our very minute, in these coming seconds, as we watch Vincent's, you know, the weight of the world land on Vincent's shoulders, and we do this beautiful cut and then pan to a dead bird in a pool, um, yeah. um, which is sort of foreshadowing what we're about to see. The camera pans right. Dante Spinotti does this great thing and then the sound design is so perfect because as he pans past this gross motel neon, we hear this buzz and the cage of the buzz and and just that, you know, that, you know, that law you're being drawn to death basically is what mm-hmm. what what mm-hmm. we're saying here. So it's these little you know funny little match cuts, funny little tiny details that you wouldn't even think of if you're watching in the whole context of the film. But that's why I think is my favorite thing about talking to you and talking to everyone about this film is is this this connection.
1: Well, it's interesting, and I'm not going to spoil it. But for your next minute, um, I, I you know. Think, I'd like you to think about the sexual politics. There's something really interesting about this entire – your next minute is super – you know, thereafter, the next couple of minutes of what happens in the movie. Yes. You know, and it's so much related to men as like heroic rescuers and just think about how – really Vincent sees himself, you know, there's a real, he has in in some ways a kind of rescuer complex, you know, he's rescues his, uh, Justine's daughter played by Natalie Portman. Uh, he is going to, you know, here he is to, um, solve the brutal murder of a young woman. He has an encounter in the next minute that I won't give away, but it's very much part of his entire rescue fantasy like it's a very it's not a fantasy i'm sorry that's that's not really that's not really right but it it's kind of interesting to me that he leaves a living woman
0: <laughs> the yes. woman he lives with yes. and he
1: goes to attend a dead woman that's exactly i find that that's exact, very strange and that's exactly <laughs> you
0: know? what i was going to say about the strange uh motivation of his entire how, how he sees himself which is mm-hmm. that while they're, while Justine's alive and while um, Natalie Portman's character alive, just her names escape me just for this second. I'm going to look it up as we're talking. But as, as, they, are, uh, as they are interacting, it's, it's only when Natalie Portman attempts suicide that yes, she regains Lauren. Yeah. yeah, when she's in crisis that oh. she regains his full attention. and yes. their relationship is dead that Justine retains his full attention. Yes, exactly. And so, yeah, there is this weird dance, and 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 what's so wonderful, and we'll get up to it when we talk in the conversation, is, you know, I think Pacino as a performer really got Vincent's weird relationship with death so much okay. so that when he improvised the scene talking about him looking at all his victims, he knew that there was this weird connection with death. Like death was always, mm-hmm. and, and these dead victims were talking to him from behind the gra- beyond the grave. Like when he was looking yeah, at them, yeah, they, yeah. they were his motivation. So it's this really weird, yeah, it's a really weird thing. Whereas with, you know, Neil on a completely different spectrum, you know, Neil's about Clint, Neil's a, you know, he's a surgeon. He, mm-hmm. He's about, he's about the precision. And
1: mm-hmm. Vincent's mm-hmm. got
0: the, the, <laughs> Vincent's like the guardian of death, like, and, and it's it's so futile because you know that the futility is, this is all around him, like this is his job. He's going to be surrounded by it the whole time, and I think him trying to uh, explain it away doesn't doesn't really do it any justice.
1: Which I think is probably part of like what makes him. He is going to always, he will always fail, yes. in some ways, you know, because there's no way he can fight death. I mean, that sounds really incredibly melodramatic but this is a very melodramatic movie also you know in a kind yeah. of what in a very wonderful way but it's the it's that he is this he is trying to fight death in some ways which is a very it you know he's he's gonna lose he's always gonna lose and it's it's really but it's it's a I think you know I mean they're all wonderful I, I really love this as you know love this movie but um <laughs> I mean, I think the one thing, one thing I do want to just talk about this one scene, there is one thing I really don't like about uh, this minute. (laughs) And I will say...
0: Besides the obvious, but yeah, let's go, let's go, let's talk about it. But
1: I mean, the thing that is the most, and it's very obvious, is that I really, at this point in time, and again, I don't think it bothered me as much back in the day, but at this point in time, I am just sick of the dead prostitute trope. I just, I feel like... I did this story when I used to work – when I worked at the LA Weekly about prostitute movies because I was really curious. you know in terms of the uh, this is not about my I have no feelings one way or another about prostitutes, but it's about how they are particularly fascinating uh, to male filmmakers. Yes. And you know, the population of female prostitutes to the regular population in, you know in movies is ridiculous, you know it's
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> yeah.
1: there are so many more prostitutes in, in movies than there are in real life. Um, and I think there's all sorts of reasons. Um, I think they're probably, you know, obviously endlessly fascinating. Um, but there, it's just too easy. And so there's something that's just really depressing. And again, this movie came out in 1995. So this is not, you know, so it, it, it's just that many years later, I'm just like, what rewatching it, I find myself more irritated, I think, than I was back in the day. Um, just feeling like this representation and there's the kind of disposability of the character who is actually literally put in the trash.
0: Yeah. Um, I, because I didn't need that. The
1: body you know? <laughs> I, I,
0: on, on this rewatch. And obviously because we freeze frame the minutes as I go through and talk about it, it's a really disturbing frame. And I don't, and yes. I think the more that I watch it, it's really disturbing. It's, and 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 I don't begrudge the movie for going there, but I just don't think it needs it. I think that preceding scene of him saying you don't know what this is, and then just going to a crime scene is more than enough for me as yes. a as a as as an observer. I don't need to see what he did. I'm already terrified. I was terrified yes. in the room with Wayne Grow, and that's in a preceding minute. So yeah, I think yes. that that's that's that. If there's a problem, I absolutely agree. And yeah, the prostitute trope is just. I mean it's yeah especially in these movies especially in crime movies and and especially contemporary mm-hmm. set crime movies I think it's completely you know I think I think almost it's so funny that you said that I immediately think of things like Deadwood you know yeah. I think that that's yeah. I, I think I think that's when you can use prostitutes in the old West. like Right.
1: <laughs> and prostitutes who may, you know, cut your nuts off too. Yes. Like, yes. You know what I mean? Will, and, as opposed shoot. to just being pure victims yes. as, it, as they too often are. Who
0: are happy, Who will happily shoot you for beating them up. I like that. Yes. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for a bit of tricksy. <laughs> like that's a nice balance between this poor prostitute who is helpless and a, and a prostitute who's got a reputation for carrying a small gun and will shoot you. Yeah. So, I mean, I yeah I don't need this, but it's it, it's it's all the more disturbing and he he was already disturbing and this could have just been any crime scene yes, I, don't, I, I think agreed. I think it's it's the one blunt it's very it's very blunt in a movie that is for its melodrama is riddled with subtlety and I think that yeah, yes. um, yeah
1: and a movie that actually I think is actually has a lot of extremely interesting female characters you know I, I yeah. think that Michael Mann uh, even though he's obviously his main characters tend to be men I think he always has interesting women and this is not you know this is not some sort of uh, you know I love him so it's not even a knock against him yeah um I've always wanted more female characters and bigger roles for his female characters because his women are so interesting and I think you know obviously in um in this movie there's amazing characters if nothing else you know I wanted uh more for Diane uh, Vernora to do because she's I think she's tremendous um and I think, you know, I have to wonder if he were making the movie now, if he would still have that shot. You know, I think it's a little... I think um, our ideas about representation change all the time, and I think he's sensitive enough that I, I, I think he might actually not. And also because, in a way, it's just too blunt.
0: For yeah. movie that,
1: as you said, is extremely sophisticated about so many different things. It's a kind of a little too obvious. Um, we don't... You know, there's a body under under a uh, cloth we we don't need to see we you know, get it what actually we got it we got it yeah, yeah it's an it's, unusual thing yeah and i and don't want to i don't beat him up too much about it i just want to say that just re-watching it i i watch it and went like, oh you know?
0: and speaking in this specific minute it probably dates the minute more than the beeper does
1: exactly right <laughs> as as i think that's <laughs> actually true and it's funny that they that those are the two things that actually kind of uh uh, bookend bookend this one scene you know they're both pretty dated in their ways which yes. is kind of strange um but and you know the, I looked up I was just curious the the young woman uh actually the, in the final credits she is called sadly dead hooker um that's her that's and it's just like uh, you know cinema is littered with with the uh the credits of dead hooker. It's, it's an unfortunate
0: thing. But. <laughs> oh uh, look, I, I, and yeah, it, her name, her name is Rainil Saunders. And yeah, on mm-hmm. the, on the IMDB has, it, it's dead hooker, but in the credits, sadly dead hooker. And it is just so it's, it's really, I, I, I must try and uh, hopefully the, your, your writing of that on the LA Weekly exists in an online forum for us to find Manola, so we can read it afterwards. I oh, yes, link it. it does. Uh, it
1: does exist. It's called, the, the piece was called She Stups to Conquer, which is funnier if you know Yiddish. But, uh. <laughs>
0: yes. So that is great. That is fantastic. But this, this... Uh, I, I really like the construction of the arrival at this scene, except for that, the, the photograph. <laughs> I, I, I love it as him coming in, and I love that, you know, when they were talking, uh, you know, uh, I think Mann uh, called out Janice Pauly, who's his location manager. Her name's come up a <laughs> lot in One Heat Minute because we, you know, Michael Mann says that, you know, oh, his, yeah. his, his location manager, Janice Pauly, has pretty much done all these films, and she's so vital to him as part of constructing these movies. And,. Um, the little story, I believe it's in the the actual director's commentary of this this minute, is that they found this pool with the dead bird, and then they created uh. a fake dead bird to put in the pool uh. because of because of the because it was just so perfect like that the, the staging of that where it could be out in the street and this. Cruddy motel, and the way that they wanted to arc the camera in that sort of beautiful mm-hmm, pan mm-hmm. that comes down before it gets into the, the car lot where her body's found, um, and then that background, that that backdrop, they were just like, "This is perfect. This is just the right amount of seedy—a hotel that'll have a dead bird in the pool so that no one would <laughs> dare swim in there, lest they get some weird disease." Um, but yeah, I just I think that that's that's what's so phenomenal about this moment. It, it, and this this hotel feels very L.A. Like oh,
1: it is very it's underground the, L.A. It- it's the kind of uh, hotel where, you know, you do go with, a, you know, you do see men going off with prostitutes. It's also the hotel that unsuspecting European uh, tourists sometimes end up at. Yes. You know, the, yes. the weekly used to be located uh, on the Sunset Boulevard back in the day when it was just not, a, you know, where you could buy as much crack as you wanted on the corner. And it was <laughs> oh, that's just, good. yeah, no, it was very convenient. <laughs> but you would see just these poor, like, you know, Tourists reeling out of these motels, like they had. This is pre kind of internet, you know, like all the different travel things online, and so they had obviously booked it through something, and they had no idea that they were in some awful, awful, you know, terrible, seedy motel. I think one of the things that Michael, I mean, Michael Mann, shoots Los Angeles so beautifully and so interestingly, and I often feel with him that he gives the city its great beauty and also will provide a critique of it too like he's really good at doing both things and showing you the kind of otherworldly or eerie things like I you know I love collateral for instance and there's this you know great shot of a coyote on the corner of just I think it's in front of of a car wash or something I can't remember but just on the street and it seems I'm sure very corny to people no it's not on the Actually, I'm thinking of something from my own life where I saw a coyote <laughs> in front of a, a local garage. But and and, and
0: I, I need to ask about this coyote. Did you happen to have Audio Slave playing on your radio I in your did car? Because because if, because I if did you not. did, you are but in I, a Michael Mann movie. If that happens, exactly. But it's
1: the kind of thing where I think people like think, oh, that's absurd. But one of the things about LA is that there's you have these encounters with wildlife all the time. You know, yeah. like, it's just this very strange thing um, that you're in this you know big. American city and there are coyotes running across the street. And, and I think, you know, the, the pool, you know, the pool, which is a certain kind of, as you know, this is a very dingy pool, but it's not a David Hockney pool. No. It's not an exotic pool in a weird way. It makes me think of sunset Boulevard, you know, yeah. with the main character face down, except it's, so it's a kind of iconic thing of the, the <laughs> yeah. dead body in the pool, you <laughs> yeah. know, which yes. is kind of a funny thing. Um, but it's really, it's like Michael Mann is really good about scraping off the glamour of Los Angeles, you know, um, and then doing his own Michael Mann version, which is often like the beautiful, you know, those, the signature shot of his, of the, the city, you know, the jeweled city spread out below or behind a character looking out into the distance. And, you know, the other thing about this minute that I just want to point out that I love is that when Vincent meets, um, Police officer. I'm not sure if it's a coroner or the police officer that's uh, over the body. Uh, you can see downtown right behind framing. Yes. And, it, and this also reminds me a lot of Collateral, too, because uh, but and also in parts of Miami Vice, I realize that that's a completely different city, but it reminds me of how he shoots cities. It's just extremely beautiful. Yeah, um,
0: and and she is uh, her name's Cindy Katz, and I think her uh-huh. character name is Rachel. But from all accounts, and uh-huh. this is the again in, from the commentary and from things I've been researching, she's a real CI. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, a real CI. Yeah. Uh, apparently, and, and that's the, you know, And she's at both scenes. Um, she's uh, at, she's okay. at the crime scene with the police officers. Uh, get shot uh, at the uh, at the armored car, and where he says, "Get your uh-huh. hand out of that man's pocket, Rachel," and she's in there uh-huh. for like. T- three seconds oh, yeah. and then That's she's, she's now here. So it's just an, another, another man detail where he gets a real person in there to interact with, uh, with Pacino and, you know, sort of, I don't know, just adds, adds a special something, but I love uh, you're talking about, it's like 59 minutes, 56 seconds is that beautiful <laughs> shot where she's holding up the photograph before we see yeah. it. And I yeah. love, I think man shoots LA more like a metropolis than almost any other filmmaker I can think of because so much of LA, as you said, is this, you know, it it is this big sweeping city, but it's about it's about the way that the city is staged in a lot of other filmmakers' works. You know, it's it's going up into the hills, it's going near the yes, beach, yes. and when whereas like something like Collateral, which is so great because it's so quintessentially LA, but it's also this you know very you know stylish anywhere city anywhere for for big chunks of you know. Uh, Poor Jamie Foxx being driven around by, um, by, by by another character named Vincent, um, played by Tom Cruise. Um, so you know, uh, I, I, that's one thing I really like about Heat as well is that very industrial. This is a city. Um, it's a central business district. It's not, and that's why I think the the allure is with New York because you just got all this, you know, you've got wall to wall of cities, wall to wall of buildings rather.
1: I think that's really, I think that's really important because this is not, you know, the, the Los Angeles that he shows us is not just like Spanish bungalows yes. or mid-century modern houses. You know, yes. there's a kind of certain architecturally um, uh, representation of Los Angeles. And he really does like to show the sky, you know the, the, bi- the big buildings. I mean, you know, he does it more in collateral, I think, here. But you do see it. I mean, here you see different things. You do see Vincent... I think it's yeah no I'm sorry it's Neil looking out at the beach when Neil is at the beach house you know yeah. you see there are scenes you know when he when he's first meeting Edie you know and they're looking out you know and they're together and they're looking at the city all sparkly and laid out like you know little diamonds on black velvet kind of thing um, but you see that you know but it's always it's always different and then he reminds you yes you are an actual city you know and I also think in the scene the city kind of works a little bit as a signifier of like danger in the big city. You know what I mean? Like, it's a little like dead body in the big city. It's it's not, you know, this is a big city, with scary things that happen. And, Um,
0: and and the staging of the scene is that on one side, you've got a crowd mm -hmm. of people looking at this dead body and then all of the city. The city is the crowd yes. It's the uncaring crowd You've got the poor The poor prostitute's mother um, uh, uh, Hazel Goodman is her, is her name um, uh-huh. oh, funny It might be Hazel Just weird spelling Same as my daughter's name um, but, yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah So it's And then this You know Just blanket of lights Across the screen As you said It's just sort of Covering well, it up
1: Let me just ask you So if you look at 59 uh, 57 yes. um, What does that Look like to you Because it looks like Something very specific To me <laughs> With a helicopter, with a
0: helicopter in the background.
1: Yeah, it's like a movie premiere. It it's is. So look,
0: weird. It is like a movie premiere.
1: <laughs> I just thought of that. That's so funny. You know what I mean? Like it's a kind of like they're uh, they're putting on this little performance, and there's a little audience. It's a very there's something very the way that he shoots this because the the, the camera is low here. Yes. And we're kind of on we're squatting with her, right? You know, yes. we're not actually at at his. Um, head side, we're, we're below, we're down with, and we're looking up. It's a really interesting kind of very um, theatrical in some ways, like they're on a stage, but also it did, with that sweeping helicopter light, it does make me think of a movie premiere, which is another very, Classic Los Angeles thing, you know these sweeping. Lights the, that you
0: have. the, for sta- the staging of bodies too, because he's right at that arc. Like he's at the he's at mm-hmm. the peak of that sort of triangulation of these three people in the scene, um, and he's right there. And yeah, like you know, shooting shooting Pacino up makes him look his most cinematic and most powerful in that in that frame as well as we're looking at, which is really good. And he's he's sort of leaning in, but yeah, it does, and it, it even comes with the tape to stay back. You know, at a, at a film. Oh my right god! Now. It's
1: you know, this is. <laughs> It's, he's on, he is, and this is so dumb, but, uh so forgive me, but it's kind of like the star of the show has arrived,
0: the <laughs> yes. detective
1: is here, and now he's going to be the hero, and he's going to solve the case, you know what I mean? Like, it's this very much, this is, this is lovely. I love talking about this in depth, because I never even thought about that, but I think that's absolutely what's going on there. I yeah. think it's like, you know, because he, the way that he comes in, you know, past the, when he even comes in at fifty nine forty eight, he's past people who almost as if he were going to a premiere. You know, it's all the looky los, as we call them out here. You know, the, the kind of bystanders who are all like watching the star arrival for and, the very and the, show.
0: And the security knows just like at his first crime scene when he walks in like the star of the show at that time as well, he just mm-hmm. gets ushered in. The 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 the, the, um, the rope goes up. You know, yeah. he, so he can walk straight under it, and that doesn't have to be impeded, and he's straight onto his stage. This is where he's at, and he and he does this lovely arc around to the first person that he's going to talk to, like any um, red carpet interviewer. Waiting, there's <laughs> poor Rachel, Cindy, Cats kneeling down, giving him a prompt, which unfortunately is that photo. But yeah, like it's yeah. it, yeah. He, there is, you know, where where Neil is hiding in the dark, hiding in the dark crevices. Um, mm-hmm. hiding away. Uh, He's a know. Garbo. He's garbo, <laughs> He's, garbo. <laughs> He's garbo. Oh, my God. He is Garbo. That is fantastic.
1: But, you know, Pacino could never play that. Pacino has no. to be the star. And, yes. I mean, I am just so – it's so funny. I have watched this movie I don't know how many times, and it's only in talking about this. I don't think that we're wrong. I don't think we're reading too much into this. No. I mean, the staging is completely right, you let, know.
0: Let's just say – Right now, if you're 60 minutes in, and this is the second Manola Darkest episode you've listened to on One Heat Minute, and me talking, suffice to say, nothing we're saying is reading into heat too much because we're we're <laughs> 60 episodes in, you know, 110 to go, and 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 there's you know, it, it, I think it you just find more and more in that detail, and it's also I love what you said about embracing, you know. One great thing is embracing the characteristics of these really purposefully cast people, um, because mm-hmm. this is this is a very this is a very Pacino you know right at his peak of his his career. You, he's yep. not gonna he's not gonna skulk in, as you said. I think it's perfect for him. This is you know this is how we're gonna frame Al. Al's gonna yes. swan in. And that's his, his very conception of his you know persona as well as his character. He's going kind to of swan in. He's the star of this show, and and all yeah. of the, and all of his guys are there. Like it, it's it's oh my god, this is the first time I've said this, but his crew is like his entourage. They're yeah. just his little no, no. entourage who are like doing what yeah. he says and doing picking yep. his instructions, driving in places. Um, but yeah, he's the star of this show.
1: And it's so interesting uh, the difference then between Neil and Vincent and just how they represent. It's really you know, the kind of the retiring one who is the, the quiet one, but who's very forceful. And then and then our showboater, you know, and of course, you know, this is, isn't this the same era for, for Pacino? Certainly, this is the era of, of um, when did he make, um, when did he get his uh,
0: Oscar. terrible it was movie? Scent,
1: Scent of a Woman. Of you a know? woman.
0: This is Scent of yes. a Woman Pacino.
1: Yep, yeah, this is Santa Vito Pacino. Hoo ha! You know? <laughs> ninety-two, I
0: mean, yeah, ninety-two. It's only a yep, couple of years yep. after, so this is. Yep,
1: this is this is where Pacino is is doing this. He's gotten to this very loud, it's loud Al,
0: and
1: uh, <laughs> wow. we're in the loud Al thing, and it's but it's perfect for the character, you know, who seems most alive when he's chasing these dudes down. And,
0: and he, but what's really funny is that they, then, what feels like the great. Uh, way that man can come back at the character is make him sort of a crippled introvert in mm-hmm. his home life. Mm-hmm. So yeah. right now, yeah. and again, I, th- I think even in earlier in this conversation when you said think about the, the representation in this next minute and this really weird relationship this character has with death is... You know, in these, when when he needs to be a protector, and when when death when you know death is the result of something, and he needs to go and sort of try and fight death in, in, in the most overt terms or melodramatic terms, if he's not doing that, he's a he's a he's an introvert. He's a really and really devastatingly so to how any how his live living relationships happen. So it's just whereas like Neil is very even. And there's yes. this, great, this but, great polarity in the character, which is here. He's swanning about, or he's hiding. I
1: don't know if he's swanning about. Neil, Neil to me, is not a swan, because Neil oh, is Oh, no, I mean, I mean Vincent,
0: be, sorry. Sorry, Vincent swanning. Oh, Vincent,
1: Vincent, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, because both men do have problems in their personal lives, and both men are struggling in their personal lives. Yes. And the dichotomy and the dialectic that the movie really sets up is the men who are really brilliant professionally... Yes. And but not brilliant at, at in their personal lives, and particularly in their lives with women, you know that that, that they fail there. But in the world of men, and the world of professional men, which is of course a Michael Mann obsession, mm, yes. <laughs> uh, is you know they're just geniuses. You know, I mean, I've always thought that man's interest in work. Was always very uh, self referential. Like it's a yeah. not in any I, I was, way. I was,
0: just, I was just about to say in the thirtieth minute. One of the things I said is I actually asked at the time. I said Manola, what do you think the you know uh, Michael Mann's obsession with professionals is? And you said exactly that. You're like, oh, that's oh. self referential. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was... I'm
1: repeating myself. No, you don't. it's you know, it's, like, no, it's,
0: it's, just... it's it's trust me. I, I'm the most guilty of repeating myself in this podcast. <laughs> but what I would say is it's just so funny. But it's true. It's it's that that's his personal ethos i think that's his wrestle is that i'm a professional Yo. and and i and and i'm slavishly professional but also you kind of want to have it all you know and that's that weird thing is that you and i think it's also a contemporary uh it's, it, that's what I think keeps this work really contemporary and I think what keeps people being able to engage with it is that like we wrestle now more than ever with like what when do you stop working like no one everyone's doing 12 projects someone has one job and has a normal weekend or those sorts of things you know it's very it's often very chaotic you're doing three or four things and you want to have everything um you don't want to have you know because you're, you're always constantly referencing other things but man was sort of onto that train well before as a guy who was uh,
1: oh Absolutely. And, and I think I said this last time, but, you know, I, for me, he and Catherine Bigler are, are the two more most two of the most interesting directors in terms of how they are really looking at masculinity, because I think they're both really interested in masculinity mm. and, you know, how how men behave and how they act. I mean, I think what's interesting is, you know, we're talking about this with man. It's not like he's valorizing it. I think he no. what I've always found really interesting about man is that he's really looking at the costs. I mean, it you know, you look at Vincent and it's not a good thing. You know, he <laughs> is this crusading uh, you know, kind of a vengeful a- angel, you know, who's going after and trying to to solve these terrible crimes, but it, it a great personal cost and I don't think that you know, I think we're supposed to like him, but we also understand that he that this is a ter- this is not necessarily a good thing and i really like that that's part of i think you know as someone who's really who is a feminist you know why i bought Part of why I really love Michael Mann is that he's engaging with masculinity in a really interesting way. That he's really investigating masculinity. He's not just kind of assuming certain values and embracing them uh, blindly. He's really kind of looking at what is it that we expect men to be and how to behave in the world, and at and, what cost.
0: And at what cost and how they relate to one another. Like these different Absolutely. men and how they how they can how they interface and or, or mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. I love about both of these groups is when you talk about like certain sort of models of masculinity is how how you know the models are reinforced by the people that you're around you know the the men that surround yeah. themselves with that so it's yeah he's never that's why i love man and that's why i love his work and 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 it's it it feels very out of time from like a it feels very new hollywood you know sort of 68 to 80 you know i
1: think it's i think it's probably more interesting than in some of that stuff, though, you know, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, at least yeah, sure. in terms of, thematically, I think, and in, also in terms of actually investigating masculinity. It's not just, again, an acceptance. It's actually a kind of trying to figure things out. I mean, again, for a movie that can seem very macho, quote unquote, in some ways, yes. this has tremendous roles for women. Again, no doubt they're not as juicy or as big or as central as the, as the, as the you know, the men but there's still surprisingly, when you compare to a lot of kind of other movies, this is actually pretty good. So, I'm all I always want more, but I'm I always think it's very interesting. So
0: I, I always want more, but he's yes. doing okay. He's doing okay. He's
1: no, yeah, he's not bad. He's not bad.
0: <laughs> well, look, I mean, I think, I think, we have to end on that note because I could talk okay. to you about this. I could, we think we could do, I could talk to you about this movie. Ad nauseam forever, Manola. I'm going to ask because I I, I did this by accident, but mm-hmm. I think I think I need you back for the 90th minute. You are here for the 30th minute. You are here for the 60th minute. I, I don't Absolutely. even don't even know Absolutely. what the 90th minute is. But we'd love to have <laughs> you back.
1: I will. We'll check in again when you hit uh, the 90th minute. That sounds great.
0: Awesome, ladies and gentlemen. I've been Blake Howard, your host of One Heat Minute. This has been Manola Dargis. This has been my one of my all-time favorite conversations in One Heat Minute. It just gets funner. fun. In thank you again, Manola, so much for being a part of the show. It's amazing to chat to you about heat and Michael Mann and to, and to find these little synergies that I didn't even know existed. That's the great pleasure. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening and subscribing, and uh, thanks to Garth Franklin for our web design, Paul Davies for our music. Thank you, Manola, again. Thank you. And guys, guys, we'll catch you next week.
1: All right.